You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 74. Hello, ladies and gents. Welcome to another exciting episode of The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm Chris Lester, the creator of the Metamore City story universe. You can find more of my work at metamorecity.com and chrislester.org. This is the show where I share my fresh new fiction with you, available in audio for the first time anywhere. I also keep you up to date on my current adventures as a novelist looking to go pro. More about that later in the program. For now, let's get to this week's story. Today I'm bringing you the first part of Chapter 22 in my Metamore City novel, Things Unseen. This book is almost finished, so if you're new to the show, you don't want to start here. Go back to episode 24 to hear this story from the beginning. Once you've caught up, follow me onward to this week's story recap. Warning, there are major, major spoilers ahead. I'll give you a couple seconds to hit pause here because, believe me, you don't want to hear this until you've caught up with the story. Are they gone? Okay, great. Let's do this. Metamore City Police Detectives Catherine Catane and David Silverleaf have finally learned the truth about the mysterious Telvari Rift Zone. The magical symbionts known as the Great Chorus are not alien energy beings from another dimension. They are, in fact, the ghosts of the Telvari people. More than a hundred years ago, the Republic of Telvar was the chief aggressor in a devastating global war. After years of grueling combat, the allied nations of Metamor, Quinardia, and the Republic of Wales had turned the tide against the Telvari forces. But Talvar was on the other side of the world from Metamor, and the allied supply lines were stretching thin. Talvar itself was a well-armed fortress of a nation, with more than a million troops defending the homeland. Building up enough forces to conquer Talvar would take years, and Metamor and Quinardia were already sick of war. If Telvar could be pushed back to its original borders, Majestrix Kaya and Queen Artella intended to offer a negotiated peace. But the leaders of Wales believed that if Telvar was not stopped now, forever, then it was only a matter of time before another great war engulfed the world. Acting in secret, Wales called together the most powerful wizards they could gather from all over the world and set them to work on an arcane superweapon, a spell so destructive that it would crush the Telvari's will to keep fighting. This wizard cabal succeeded beyond their wildest expectations, and the Balefire spell wiped out six million Telvari lives in an instant. But this was not the end of the Telvari. The same spell that destroyed their bodies also cracked open a mana nexus deep under the earth, releasing a flood of life-aspected mana. It transformed the Telvari into magical energy beings and gave them incredible psionic powers. The Telvari formed a new society, an unseen telepathic society, built around the rift and the life-giving energies it provided. There they lived in complete secrecy until Project Lightpath visited the rift 25 years ago. Another surge from the rift transformed the Lightpath team just as it had transformed the Telvari. It was then that this great chorus became aware of the terrible atrocities that had been committed by their armies during the war, and the grief that the whole world had felt at the way Telvar had been destroyed. Now, 
25 years later, the Rift survivors have made contact with outsiders. Several of the Rift spirits are trapped in the bodies of Sephihin Lassos, Julia Mathias, and Misty Halloway. The Rift's spokesperson, former Lightpath commander Gordon Levinson, wants to negotiate a treaty through the Lothanasi, but only if they can get these lost spirits home again. Before they can do that, though, Kate, David, and Janus must get Sephi to the Nexus under Caius Citadel. Without the life-giving energies of the Nexus, Sephi and her passengers will never survive the trip back to Telvar. Fortunately, Majestrix Kaya has already opened the way to the Nexus, and Misty and Julia are waiting there, along with Kate's friend, Morgan Drowling. Unfortunately, Sephi, Janus, and the detectives are about to become targets of the Vampire Crime Syndicate. Malcomard Valos has decided that Sephi is too dangerous to live. Her precognitive visions, the result of her exposure to the Rift, could allow her to pass on crucial information to Majestrix Kaya about the Syndicate and its operations. Together with his spymaster, William Westerson, Malcolm has dispatched an elite Syndicate combat team to take out Sephi and her escorts, and they're armed with an experimental technology called Greyout, which could make them invisible to Majestrix Kaya herself. Things Unseen A novel of Metamore City Written and read by Chris Lester Chapter 22 The Lightbringer shuttle landed on a nondescript building west of the Citadel. They took a lift to the underground garage, loaded Safi and themselves into a white, unmarked van, and drove to an exit on the east side of the building. A security checkpoint blocked the entrance to a tunnel, which stretched out of sight in the direction of the Citadel. The guards at the checkpoint inspected Janus's identification, scanned the vehicle for signs of explosives or hostile magic, called ahead to the Citadel to announce their arrival, then waved them on into the tunnel. While Janus drove, Kelsey distributed earpiece communicators to Kate and David, twins to the ones the Lothanasi wore. They won't reach the surface from here, she said, but they're good to at least a hundred meters underground, in case we get separated. Good call, Kate said, and adjusted the audio to a comfortable level. She was starting to feel like an honorary lightbringer at this point. She wasn't at all sure how she felt about that. Another guard station met them at the far end of the tunnel, where they repeated the screening process. The guard waved them into another vehicle lift, which took them down to the VIP parking garage. The lift tube doors slid shut behind them as they exited, revealing the emblem of the Citadel. Janus stopped the van just inside the garage and put on the parking brake. Kate looked over at him, brows raised. Expecting trouble? With the vampires involved? Always. Janus looked over his shoulder at the rest of their team. Kelsey, sweep the room. Lieutenant Katane, if you'd go with her. On it, Kate said, unbuckling her safety belt. Detective Silverleaf, could you follow Katane and Kelsey and watch their six? Delighted to, David said. Janus turned to the medic, who sat in the back by the head of the gurney. 
Valerie, you're in charge of Lady Sephira. The van is armored. Don't take her out of here until we've been cleared for access to the lower levels. The vamps consider her a high-value target. They'll be after her as soon as they can organize a response. A muscle twitched in Valerie's jaw. She nodded, took out her sidearm, and rested it on her leg. They won't get her, sir. Good. Everyone move. Kate and Kelsey slid out of the van and drew their weapons and torches, then made their way forward at a brisk pace, checking between and under the parked vehicles as they went. A single line of parking spaces lined each side of the driveway for about ten meters beyond the lift tube doors, the grade sloping gently upward. Beyond that, the room widened into a shape resembling a blocky letter A, a second driveway running parallel to the one where they'd entered, and connecting to it via cross passages in the center and far end of the garage. The other leg of the A rose on an incline from the cross passage, and then turned left out of sight, presumably headed for an additional floor of VIP parking further up. Kelsey and Kate split up at the middle cross passage, with Kelsey taking the ascending leg, while Kate cleared the upper loop of the A. David took up station behind one of the many support pillars that lined the middle of the room, his ears twitching this way and that as he listened for trouble. Kate shone her torch into every shadow and checked under every wheeled vehicle, both her mundane and magical senses on high alert. Janus was right. They'd gotten out too easily when they rescued Lady Sephira. The vamps hadn't sent anyone after her, and that just didn't make sense when they'd gone to such trouble to get her in the first place, unless they knew where she was going. They would need informants inside either Citadel Police or the Lothanasi to pull off an ambush, and while both of those seemed unlikely, Kate wasn't willing to take any chances, not after the way she and David had gotten blindsided last night. If they can put people inside MCPD, they can put them anywhere. If the vamps were very well connected in the Citadel, they'd have their people already waiting in ambush before Kate and the others arrived, and she would need to thoroughly check the garage for hostels lying in wait. If they were slightly less well connected, Janus could have easily gotten here ahead of them, and Kate and Kelsey's search would do nothing but cost them time before the vamps or their agents came down on them. There was no way to know which was more valuable, time or thoroughness, and whether she sped through a row of skimmers or stopped and looked in every darkened window, Kate couldn't stop feeling like she was making the wrong choice. Time won in the end, as Kate remembered the slender thread by which Lady Sephira's life was already hanging. She checked the vehicles in each row as thoroughly as she dared before moving on. Kelsey met her back at the cross corridor, shaking her head. Kate did the same, and they double-timed it back to the van. David stayed in his position near the center of the room, as still and patient as a stone. Looks clear for now, Kate said, as she and Kelsey climbed inside. Janus grunted in acknowledgement, then pressed a button on the dashboard. Ops, this is Agent Starson. Send all available combat agents to Citadel West. Possible vampire infiltration. Acknowledged, a woman's voice came back over the speakers. We're stretched thin already, boss. Alpha and Bravo teams are still securing that Omega-37 for BMR. Charlie is setting wards around Hunter's Hollow. Delta's on an emergency call in Soulshore. Fay incursion detected. Please advise. Janus grimaced. 
Tell Charlie to finish up and get here ASAP. Then get on the line to the BMR and tell them we need them on site immediately. Send Alpha and Bravo as soon as all acquisitions are secured. Got it, boss. ETA for Charlie is 30 minutes. Acknowledged. Starson out. Janus pressed another button on the dash, then released the parking brake and drove into the garage. Looks like we're on our own, Kate said, unenthusiastic about the prospect. For now, Janus agreed. The pedestrian lift tube stood at the far end of the chamber, at the top left corner of the A-shape. Janus parked the van crosswise right in front of them, blocking in a pair of luxury skimmers on either side. The parking attendants might be annoyed, but it would shorten the time that Lady Sephira was out in the open, so Kate fully approved of it. Kelsey, check the lift, Janus said. Obediently, Kelsey jumped out of the van again, ran over to the lift, and pushed the call button. There was an angry squelching noise from the adjacent speaker. We need authorization, boss. So use the comm system and ask for it. Kelsey pressed a button on the keypad. There was a dial tone, and a moment later a voice came from the speaker. Citadel Ops, please state your ID and your intended party. Kelsey leaned over and spoke into the microphone. Agent Kelsey Stanton, Lothanasi Order, for Majestrix Kaya. There was a long pause. When the operator spoke again, the voice sounded dubious. Hold, please. The speaker began beeping with the low, flat tone of a hold signal. The weight stretched. Kate fingered her pistol holster. I don't like this, she murmured. Nor do I, Janus growled. There should have been a guard here to let us in. His eyes swept over the room, coming to rest on an empty guard station ten meters down the right wall. The walls in that section extended out to the edge of the driveway, so there were no parking spaces obstructing it. Broad windows surrounded the post on three sides and gave the room a 180-degree view of the surrounding garage. Kate couldn't see anyone in there, but a few meters closer there was a narrow passageway on the same side, leading deeper into the heart of the building. A steel door a meter down that passage looked like it might lead to the now-unoccupied guard room through an adjoining antechamber or a break room. Detective Silverleaf, Janus said. Can you see anyone in the guard room from your vantage point? David's voice came back clearly in Kate's earpiece. Negative. Would you like me to investigate more closely? Negative. Stay in position. Katain and I will take a look. Kelsey and Valerie, secure the perimeter. Acknowledged. Kelsey left the comm line open and moved to crouch behind the front right corner of the van, shielding herself behind the engine while setting up a line of fire down the length of the garage. Behind her, Valerie knelt at the van's back right corner, covering the shorter passage at the top of the A. Once both lightbringers were in position, Janus nodded to Kate. At once, they opened their doors and moved in a crouching run to the narrow corridor beside the guard station. Three, four, five heart-pounding seconds, and then they were behind cover again. Janus tried the door that presumably led to the guard station. Not surprisingly, it was locked. He knocked on the door with a few short, forceful thumps. No response. This post should be manned around the clock, he said. Kate felt a growing tension in her neck and shoulders. Her headache began to throb again. A cold, 
prickling sensation crept over her fingers and toes. You feel that? she murmured. Janus nodded once. Enchantment of some kind, not one of Kaya's. His nose wrinkled. I don't like the smell of it. Kate couldn't smell anything, but she took Janus's word for it. Not everyone who could sense magic interpreted it in the same way. I could do an augury. Don't bother, we're not at the source. He took out a pocket torch, shone it on the door. There were scratches on the metal plate next to the handle, but it was hard to tell if they were from tampering or ordinary wear and tear. Kate checked the floor for blood or brass or even scuff marks from someone's shoes. She found nothing. Nothing except the pervasive feeling of that unknown enchantment, quietly grating on her arcane senses. Agent Starson, David said, his voice low and urgent. My life sense is being jammed. Something is here and getting closer. Janus put the torch away and drew a lemicel from its sheath. The sigils on the blade glowed a dull, sullen amber. Kate felt that strange phantom touch of the blade on her hand again, and a wordless echo of anger and frustration ran through the back of her mind. Janus's eyes burned with a fierce blue-white light, and he muttered something under his breath in old tongue. His aura began to glow visibly. Cover me. I'm going up there. Kate nodded, drew her pistol, and moved up to the corner, crouching below the level of the guard post windows and looking down the corridor. To all appearances, nothing had changed, but the silent, abrasive presence of the enchantment kept growing. Ready. Janus stepped around the corner and began a low, crouching run toward the next piece of cover, a concrete support pillar six meters away. The lights went out. For a split second, Kate saw only the runes on Janus's sword, glowing bright yellow with warning. Then a loud crack split the air. Kate jerked back behind cover. Sniper! Janus wasn't beside her. Why hadn't he moved? A second crack followed. She looked up. In the light of the runes, she saw him stumbling backwards, a lemisil slipping from his grip. Kate scrambled up, darted out, grabbed him, pulled him back into the side passage. He hit the floor, gasping, his eyes staring at nothing. Kate checked him. A dark blotch was spreading across his gut, beneath the shattered remains of a ceramic strike plate. Fuck, 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 fuck. Officer down, Kate barked into the earpiece. Shit, how bad is it? Kelsey asked. Another shot came from downrange pinging off metal somewhere very close to Kelsey's head. Shit! Kelsey yelped. Cut the chatter! Kate snapped. Silence. No more shots. Was the sniper moving in? Was he waiting? Help Janus. Unzip the vest, pull it aside, unbutton the shirt. Oh, gods. Blood, blood, way too much fucking blood. More of it coming out. Pull off the jacket, then the shirt. Wad up the shirt, press it down on the wound. Put Janus's hands over it, press down. Good, he's got the idea. Roll up the jacket. Stick it under the legs to elevate them. What else? Intestines could be fucked. Can't help that right now. Spine hit? Better keep him still. Don't think he'll be moving much anyway. Nothing else I can do. Except kill this motherfucker. She drew her gun, 
pulled out her pocket mirror and stuck it around the corner to look downrange, for a reflection, a night scope, something to shoot. The mirror shattered, tore itself out of her hand, another crack at the same instant. She pulled her arm back into cover. God's holy Marai fucking starchild, Yeshua shitballs! She gritted her teeth and shoved the profane litany out of her mind before she got stuck in it. She was a born adrenaline junkie, damn it, and holy hell did she have adrenaline to work with now. Kate put away her gun. She drew out her arthana with one hand and a small square of fabric with the other. It still hurt to call up her mana reserves, but having the right tools helped tremendously. She wove the spell in her mind, then released it, whispering, Nerto. The veil wrapped itself around her in an instant, the magic feeling warm against her skin. The spell would bend visible light around her like any veil, but this one would also trap infrared inside it, a protection against creatures with heat vision or humans with IR scanners. She designed that part of the spell herself as part of her journeyman thesis, a response to the typical anti-veil countermeasures used in combat. It wasn't perfect invisibility, especially when she was moving, but the heat trap was something most people wouldn't expect, and it would make her a hell of a lot harder to shoot. She put away the Arthana, drew her gun again, and got carefully, quietly to her feet. Kelsey, Valerie, hold position. Guard the objective. Click once to acknowledge. A click came through the earpiece, followed a moment later by another. David, try to flank that sniper. I'll go for the spotter. Another click. Kelsey, give me some light, high and forward. A ball of light sprang into existence at the ceiling of the parking garage. Kate leaned out of cover again and took in the situation, the scene washing over her mind in hyperfine detail. Near distance. Seven o'clock, Janus on the ground, still gasping. In cover from sniper, but otherwise exposed. Range, half a meter. Solid brick wall to left, guard station to right. No other doors. Middle distance. Rows of parked skimmers ahead. Check mirrors, windows, for reflections. Clear. Lightbringer van at nine o'clock, range ten meters. Kelsey and Valerie in position, Lady Sephra inside. Three o'clock. A T-intersection at the crossbar of the A-shape. Support pillars. Good cover. Range, six meters. Far distance. Three o'clock, four rows of parked skimmers stretch back into darkness. It was about sixty meters when we swept it. Slants upward toward second floor at the back. Sniper's back there somewhere. Ten o'clock. Blind corner. View obscured by more support pillars, skimmers, vans. Swept it before, but I could have missed something. Spotter will be somewhere close. David. Where's David? Not visible, but I smell him. Musk and fallen leaves. His aura. He's on the hunt. First priority, threat assessment. Sniper had a suppressor to mask his position. Military or SWAT-level training. A civilian couldn't have made that dual shot to bust through Janus's armor. Where's the spotter? Sniper wasn't there when they swept. Someone had to warn him when they came in. Let him know when it was clear to move into position. David's life sense should have caught him, but the enchantment probably mucked it up. Spotter had to be close enough to see them all near the lift tubes, but not too close or they'd have seen him too. 
Kate moved out of cover in a near-silent run, crossing through the rows of parked skimmers to the far side of the A. Look left, look right. No immediate threats. Hiding spots? Many of the vehicles had tinted glass. Syndicate hitters would want something inconspicuous. She stalked up the line of parked skimmers, soft and careful steps. Instinct drew her to one target, a large sport utility craft, glossy black, jutting out of its parking space just a little too much. Closer now and she saw it. One rear window, the privacy glass lowered a few centimeters, facing the Lightbringer van. Line of sight on Valerie, crouched behind the van's rear corner, unaware of the threat in her peripheral vision. Valerie, Kate murmured, eyes on your eight o'clock, black SUV. Valerie moved her head only about a centimeter, slid her eyes left. I see it, she murmured back. On three, roll to cover and shoot out those windows. Kate pressed up against a support pillar to guard against ricochets. One, two, three. Valerie flung herself into a backward somersault and landed behind the engine block of the skimmer next to her. Kate heard the foot of a suppressed pistol, but the shot was hasty and it pinged harmlessly off the armored side of the Lightbringer van. Valerie braced her pistol against the hood of the skimmer and opened fire on the SUV. Blam, blam, blam. The first shot caught in the protective glass, the second made a spider web of cracks, and the third broke it to pieces. The back hatch of the SUV flew open, and a dark figure tumbled out. Black bodysuit, blonde, female, tack vest, 9mm with suppressor. Hit the ground running, sprinted for cover behind a concrete pillar. The next one over from Kate. Range, 5 meters. She took careful aim. Her veil would drop when she fired. Only one shot at this. The target leaned out and fired at Valerie again. Foot. Bam! Bam! Suppressor was wearing out fast. One round struck Valerie's shoulder, grazing shot. Fuck! Valerie hissed, returned fire. Blam! 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 Shots caromed off the pillar, kicking up chips of concrete. Careful? Careful? The target hadn't noticed Kate under her veil. She took two more shots at Valerie. No hits. Pulled back, ejected her magazine reached for another on her belt, turned her back to Kate. Do it! Kate let out her breath, waited for the lull between heartbeats, then squeezed the trigger twice. Blam. Blam. Wash of red spraying the skimmers, the pillar, the ground. The target stopped, toppled backward, fell. Fuck! Valerie shouted, jumping backward. Just as quickly, she moved back into position behind the van. Hostile down! Hostile down! Don't look. Don't look. Kate turned away from the thing on the ground, pulled her veil back up, continued her sweep to the left, looking for shadows, looking for reflections, looking at anything but what was behind her. Past the Lightbringer van, circled back toward the guard window. Check on Janus again, still conscious, still in pain. Shirt pressed into the wound, soaked in blood. Keep moving. Valerie, Kate said, her voice low and controlled. Can you still shoot? I... Fuck. Yes, I can shoot. Good. Hold position. 
Kelsey, circle left. Clear that leg of the garage again. I'll take the right. I copy, Kelsey said. Kate didn't hear her move behind her, but the light orb Kelsey had conjured began to swing ahead of her down the rows of skimmers like a searchlight. Kate kept to the shadows and moved on. At the cross corridor now? Clear. Found it, David's voice called up ahead. He hopped down from the bed of a utility truck, hauling a big fucking rifle with a bipod, a suppressor, and a night vision scope. Son of a bitch rabbited, Kate said. David started at the sound of her voice, reminding Kate that she still had the veil up. Back end's clear, she said. One hostile down. This end? Clear, David said. He must have known we were about to have him surrounded. Kelsey, clear? Kate called to the other woman. Kelsey stood up out of cover. Clear. Damn it. Kate nodded, then let the veil fall away. She wasn't sure how much longer she would be able to hold it in any case. Now that the threat had passed, she was slowly coming down off the adrenaline high, and her headache was returning in force. She slid her gun back into its holster as well. Kelsey, for her part, didn't seem surprised by Kate's reappearing act. How's the boss? she asked. Gut shot, Kate said. They hit him once to shatter the plate, twice to push through it. He's still conscious, or he was a minute ago. Kelsey paled. I'll check him. She turned to look over her shoulder. Valerie, the boss needs you. On it, the medic called back. Kelsey turned back to Kate. Go guard Lady Sephra. I don't want that bastard coming back to finish the job. She started double-timing it toward Janus at the far end of the garage. Something churned in Kate's stomach, but she went. She ran back over to the Lightbringer's van, past the support pillars, don't look, don't look, and opened the back of the van. She hopped up next to the gurney, checking for any injuries. The van's armor was good, but if any of those bullets had bounced into the undercarriage... No. Thank Eli, Sephi was unhurt. Still feverish, occasionally trembling as the life force drained out of her, but nothing she or anyone else had done in the last few minutes was moving her closer to the end. Holy fuck! Valerie called from Janus's hiding place. I've seen Daedra who play nicer than this. Kate winced. Can you help him? If he doesn't fucking bleed out on me, Valerie shot back. Look in the van. There's a liter of Oneg in the cooler. I need that, an IV kit, and as much gauze as we've got in there. RFN. Can't do. David, get over here. Kate started looking. Blood? Check. Gauze? Gauze? More gauze? Check. IV kit. IV kit. Where is it? Where is it? Kate muttered. Her hands were shaking. She dropped the gauze, fumbled for it, dropped the blood, scooped everything up again, held on tighter. IV kit. Where the fuck is the IV kit? She shouted. Drawer under the bench labeled IV. God damn it! Valerie snapped. Labels. Right. Drawers have labels. Labels have words. Words identify items. IV, check. Kate grabbed the IV kit, climbed out of the van. David was already waiting. He took the items, ran back to Valerie and Janus. And as he moved out of the way, Kate was looking straight into the face of the woman she'd killed. Or, rather, the place where the face should have been. Kate stared at the jagged, bloody holes where a woman's face belonged.
A surge of anger shot through her, an indignant fury at the stupidity of it all. She clenched her fists and found that they were shaking. What the fuck were you doing? She growled at the corpse. Big bad bitch likes to shoot helpless little girls. She spat on the body's feet. Fuck you. After a moment, she made herself go through the dead woman's pockets, pushing back the sickening disgust, treating it like just another body at just another crime scene. She found an ID card. Melinda Tane, though Kate doubted it was legit. No assassin would be stupid enough to carry her own ID on a mission. Examining the body more closely, Kate found that the blonde hair was a wig. Beneath it, the woman wore a tight-fitting cowl of the same black, stretchy fabric as her bodysuit. Some sort of stealth gear, perhaps? Kate looked at the woman's back, found a set of three cylindrical mana batteries, one for death mana, one for water, and one for air. That was an unusual combination, and it definitely showed a sophisticated enchantment at work one that wouldn't have to draw on the surrounding environment for its mana supply. Almost certainly a stealth system of some kind, then. Could someone have found a way to hide from Kaya herself? Kate opened the tack vest, unzipped the body armor, then took the woman's own combat knife from her belt and cut open the bodysuit. A layer of thin, silvery wires sat sandwiched between the layers of stretchy black fabric. No sooner had Kate begun to wonder about this, though, than she saw the pale bite scars covering the woman's neck, shoulders, and breasts. Thrall, Kate snarled, saying the word like a curse. You stupid fucking cow! You see what you get? You see what they did to you? Kate slammed the knife flat onto the ground beside the corpse. She rose and stepped over the body, putting her back to it. She pulled out her gun again and kept guard over Sefi, just in case there were any other idiot juice bags who decided they'd live too long. No other hostiles showed themselves. After a while, David came back. He looked down at the body, then up at Kate. Catherine, he whispered. Kate's grip tightened on her gun. She should have known better, she said. Her voice came out flat, calm. Anybody with half a brain knows what the vamps do to you if they get you. She shook her head. Fuck. Way they use people up, I probably did her a favor. David closed his eyes and said nothing. The boss is going to be okay. Kelsey's voice from across the garage and getting closer. That shot made a mess of his innards, but it missed his spine, and Valerie's getting the bleeding under control. They'll put him back together with the light healing, but it's going to take him a while. We'll have to go on without him, Kate said. Yeah, but... Yashua! Kelsey caught sight of the body and stepped back, her face going ashen. She swallowed, took a deep breath, swallowed again. Kate glared daggers at her. You done? The Lightbringer's eyes flicked down to the corpse, back to Kate. She nodded. Good. Get back on that goddamned comm line. I need clearance to the Nexus from Kaya. I need all the Lightbringers you can get here for backup. And I need the Citadel police out looking for that other shooter. You want to throw up? Do it on your own time. Now go. I... Yes, ma'am. Kelsey ran for the lift tubes. 
Kate turned and stared back toward the far end of the garage, still gripping the gun in her hand like she was choking it. She wished she had Fisher here so she could empty her magazine into him again. And then maybe she'd use that combat knife. She wondered how many pieces she could cut him into before the fucker stopped regenerating. David's hand rested on her shoulder. When she didn't flinch away, he squeezed it lightly. It's never easy, he said softly. Kate ground her teeth. It's a fucking waste. She lost track of how long they stood there like that. After a while, she heard Kelsey's footsteps returning. They heard the fight on the open comm, she said. Citadel police are on their way, and we have clearance down to the Nexus. Lightbringers will be here as soon as they get Fisher into containment. Good. Kate put away her gun, then turned toward the gurney. Kelsey, take point. David, help me with this thing. Let's get this clusterfuck over with. And that's where we're going to stop for this week, folks. Janus is down. Lightbringers and Syndicate both have reinforcements on the way. And in the depths of the Citadel, our heroes will fight to save the lives of three women and seven ghosts. We return to Kaya's heart next week. Albert Camus said, The purpose of a writer is to keep civilization from destroying itself. I know you couldn't tell from the way this year has been going, but I swear we're trying, folks. Anyway... Here's your weekly writing report. This week I continued my work on the business side of Liminal Corvid Press. Since last Saturday, I've spent 14.5 hours working on stuff related to the business, including cover design, interior book layout, managing the proofing process with CreateSpace, and implementing a Facebook marketing campaign for my recent interview with Gail Carragher. If you didn't get a chance to see that interview live, you can still view the recording on my YouTube channel. The Facebook advertising campaign was very narrowly targeted at people in the United States between the ages of 25 and 45 who like Gail Carragher. The ad was served to 543 people. A little more than 8% of them engaged with the ad, but only 20 people actually responded to the event invitation. This foray into advertising cost me $10, or 50 cents per respondent. Was it worth it? I don't know, but that seems pretty expensive for the amount of response I got. I will probably experiment with Facebook ads again, but not until I have a new book ready to sell. Between the business work and some stuff going on in my personal life, I didn't get back to the writing desk this week. Now that I've had this little vacation from writing, though... I'm looking forward to jumping back into it next week. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your comments in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is at facebook.com slash author chris lester, 
The fan group is Fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and my Twitter handle is Ethereus, E-T-H-E-R-I-U-S. If you like this show, why not leave me a review on iTunes? It really helps me to get the word out. That's our show for this week. Come back next time for more fiction, fresh off the writing desk. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2013 and 2016 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.